And welcome to The Late Show, and it's Albert Bogle here in the chair on my own. Both of my colleagues have been unable to join me today, so I'm finding myself alone, but not alone, because I'm with friends. I've got two particular people who I'm really interested to have a conversation with today, because first of all is Sandy Snedden. Sandy is, what I would say, is like the Church of Scotland's secret international ambassador. He, he's out there making connections with people in different parts of the world and quietly making a difference in people's lives. And I want to talk to him a wee bit about some of the things he's involved in, some of the partnerships he's involved in. I want to talk to him about some of the advocacy work that he's doing and some of also the international development work that he's involved in. And he's also involved with helping and connecting uh, with, I think, over 12 uh, countries helping Christians find a way to grow and, and ministers grow in their faith. So I'm going to, that'll be an interesting one to go together. But I'm also interested, I've got a friend here with us also, uh, Julie, Jill Clancy, and uh, we go back a long way as well, Jill. And uh, it's great to have you with us today because you're now in prison chaplaincy. And I think there are going to be interesting crossovers in our conversation. So although we've not got the doc and we've not got Laura Dagen, that, that who always comes with these uh, incisive and, and interesting questions. I'm afraid you're left with me, guys, but together I'm sure we'll have a good time. So thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Good to be here. Good. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Good, Sandy. Sandy, let me just start off with you. What is what's lying in your desk just now? What are the kind of things you're dealing with at the moment? You don't need to go into all the secrets, you know, the the the, the, the overseas development areas that you that you can't talk about. But what, what are some of the key things that you're dealing with at the moment? What are some of the things? Um, some of the things that are going on just now. Um, there's a group from South Africa want to come to Scotland after Easter to give as a Thanksgiving pilgrimage for a, a Scottish minister who went to serve in the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa, a guy called um, Andrew uh, Andrew Murray, whose legacy is going on today. Mm -hmm. And that was completely out of the blue, uh, although through one of our South African colleagues um, here in Scotland. So, you know, out of the blue, uh, very interesting kind of stuff. Then news from China that um, the former Anglican Cathedral in Shanghai which was closed in 1965 at the start of the Cultural Revolution, has just reopened just before Chinese New Year. Um, it had been refurbished at a considerable cost um, and has been ready to open for a while. And, and now we, we rejoice with our partners in China that this historic church is, is once again um, hosting service, uh, worship services. Wow. That's great. Uh, so that, you know, that, that's been good. Then... Not so good. Our friends in Myanmar, who have, for the past almost two years, have been living in what is effectively a civil war yeah. following the, the illegal military coup. Um, and where they live, there's a lot of resistance to the military coup. And there's been shelling. Villages have been burnt. And we for two years, we've been getting reports of some dreadful things happening there. And a friend of mine there... Her, her, uh, there was artillery shelling and, and the veranda roof, a shell came through it. Um, her husband was away. She was there with her young daughter. The daughter was terrified. 
you know, I I know that house. I've been there. I know the I know the people, and it's heartbreaking when we get the news from Myanmar um, about what what they're what they're dealing with. Um, in Pakistan, the National Assembly has just voted to expand the the notorious blasphemy law, increasing the number of offences that that you can be um, convicted of and charged with under the blasphemy law in that country. And the, the Human Rights Commission of Pakistan is worried that this will just mean even more trouble for uh, minority and marginalised communities there. So there's a range of stuff comes across my desk all the time. Um, see, some of it is, is, is great and it's a cause of rejoicing and thanksgiving. Um, others is, uh, is more troubling and, and worrying. And through all of it, what we try to do in the Church of Scotland is to, to accompany our partners uh, through all of this. Well, I'm telling you, Sandy, that's an amazing job description, job remit. I mean, in actual fact, you probably don't want me to say that you're an ambassador, but your actual title is you're an associate international um, partnership support manager. And, and it looks as though you are really at the very thick of it and the cutting edge of trying to bring some of the connections of the of 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 the of, of the Christian of the world church into the heart of the church of Scotland. Um yeah that's what we try. I've I've always considered myself to be or to try to be an advocate for our partners. So mm -hmm. I make friends with remarkable people in Sri Lanka or Pakistan or, or Myanmar. And it's not that I just put them on a pedestal or some of them that I do, but I feel that I, I then have a responsibility to tell their story. Yeah. Well, listen, and, I, I and think... That, that's my debt to them. Listen, that, let's keep that all that going, and Jill can keep some of that in your mind as well when we come back to talk to Sandy. What about your job? What's on your desk at the moment, Jill? What are the things that you're dealing with? Well, on my desk, always just admin. <laughs> the real, the real work is in the halls of the prison. It's when we move out from the desk and go into the halls. That's where it happens. That's where the work, uh, and it's buried every day. You never know what you are going to come across. I, I say about parish ministers. When I was a parish minister. Maybe have two or three funerals a week, and you would go to the door of that family, and you didn't know what situation they would be in. Would they be prepared for the death? Would it have been a sudden death? You don't know what you were going to experience. Mm -hmm. Well, I can go into a hall and every single door within that, let's say, hour, and it could be maybe four, six, half a dozen doors that I chap on, I do not know what is behind those doors. Right. It could be something absolutely horrific. They could be in despair, the darkest times. It's just coming to a reality of why they're in prison. Or it could be quite something quite simple like, can you get me a Bible? Um, so every door, you, you just don't know what you're going to face each day. And that can just be, one hall can just be an hour. You've got... A, B, C, D, E. You've got five halls and you've got a top end within HMP Berlini. So, yeah. so do, you deal with, do you deal with all prisoners, all categories of prisoners or just certain areas? All categories. We've got over, we've got nearly 1,300 prisoners at the moment. We did have, just before COVID, 
over 1,500, but uh, fortunately we managed to reduce it a little during COVID because we were looking for more single sales. Most sales within Berlini are double sales. Um, and so, yeah, big, big prison, lots and lots of work. The day just flies in and every day is different. And then I guess that you then involved with trying to connect with families after you've done all these visits, would you be back trying to make connections back at home with families? Not always, no. No, no not always, because families, that is very much a, a protection thing, a data protection thing. They might not want families to even know that they're there. But right. I could go to somebody's door and they ask me to help them get a call to their family. Now, what I would do then is I would let them use, we have a an amount of money that I can use on the phone. So I would use, a, I've got a PIN number and I would use that to let them phone their family to get that connection because especially a remand prisoner who's just come in, the prison system gives them 30 pence, but that's not a lot of money when it comes no. to a mobile phone or time. So they've maybe used that to phone a lawyer and they still haven't phoned their family. So I'll let them phone their family so that they can tell their family their details and the, you know, the process of how to visit and how to put money in for them. And that can all start. But some prisoners don't have families, Albert. Lots right. of prisoners don't have families. They don't. Sadly, the drugs have perhaps taken over and their families have had enough and they just can't cope anymore with them or families are dead and they, they don't have any connections on the outside. Um, so, yeah, every prisoner's different and every situation's different as well. Yeah, so, um, so I'm just thinking there then, when you are in this situation... Do you see yourself as a represent, like sort of um, talking to Sandy there, he was seeing himself as connecting from the Church of Scotland and the Church's ministry and seeking partnerships with the World Church. Do you see yourself as a, a minister of the community, coming in from the community of the Church of Scotland to say, we're with you? Or uh, you're not employed by the Church of Scotland, you're employed by the government, is that right? Or That's great. Right, so, but Jill... Jill is called, and to be honest, I'm called as a Church of Scotland minister. That is a definite. So first and foremost, I'll, I'll always be a Church of Scotland minister. It just so happens that I'm employed by the SPS, the Scottish Prison Service. And yes, they do pay me now, but I still, and I've got to have my connection with the Church of Scotland. I'm very, I'm business convener at the moment of Presbytery. I've got to have that to actually be a chaplain anyway. Right. Yes. Um, a lot of people say to me, a lot of Christians will phone up and, oh, we would like to come in and help. I'll be perfectly honest. The help that we need is outside the walls of the prison. If I've got connections in churches and local communities outside that I can point my boys to, that is a gift. That is like gold dust. It's through care that is needed more than anything else. We do the work inside. We've got nine chaplains. We've got enough chaplains inside to do the work. But what we need is the work on the outside. And that is where I need the connections. Yes. We, there was a, 
our organisation called Hope Connections. We, we got before COVID, we had a big seminar and we were going to do a lot more work within churches in Glasgow and getting um, representatives of those churches to start being, um, you know, a sort of link for us. But it, it never actually transpired during because of COVID. And right. um, we managed to get it really fully up and running. But if I, I, if I know a church or if I know a minister where a certain person's going out to, I'll lift the phone and I'll say, right, I've got this person I really need a wee bit help with. Support. Um, and, and I've found myself saying, phoning a, fa- phoning a minister and saying, I've got a family outside that are needing support. The, the, the husband or the brother or the son is with me and he's wanting support with for his mum or his girlfriend or his wife or whatever. I've done that as well. So it's wonderful if I've got the support on the outside. So through care is very important. And yes, we do advocate for our prisoners. You know, um, we, we, we go to, we see, well, I go to case conferences and I go to um, meetings where we, we've got social work there, we've got the officers, that, we've got other people there that represent that, prison of, that prisoner mm. to see where we can develop for the future. I, I, might, I have connections with rehabs, which is great, Team Challenge, uh, The Haven, different rehabs that we know. So, I, again, I have connections with people that I can phone up. Bethany Trust are wonderful through David McAdam. I can call them. Um, and, and the connections can start within the prison before they actually leave. And that's best as well, because then there's a bit of trust. There's a bit of, oh, we've got to know that person. And um, and that journey can begin. Because if we had somebody to hold the hand of every prisoner that leaves prison, we'd have less prisoners returning back to prison. And it's a hard thing to say because they're adult men, but it's the truth. They just need a wee bit of hand-holding and yeah. guide them because a lot of them have been institutionalised all their life. They've been in homes all their life. And they and sometimes yeah. it's hard on the outside. Do you know, I remember, I remember visiting a prison up in Inverness when I was moderator and when I went in, the, 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 you know, in the, in the prison in Inverness, there was a prisoner being admitted and the prison officers were standing talking to me and the prisoner came up to be admitted and he and he and he said to him is it just my usual is it just my usual uh, i don't know what he called it cell or room and they just said yeah and they called him by name and said yeah just the usual it's open for you just go up right now i looked at that and i said what's that all about and then they just smiled and they said we've known this man he he actually this is his home because he he, he He's a, a, a continual offender because he knows nothing else and he comes and, and basically this is his home and he, he, he offends and then he gets a custodian sentence for so many months. And it, it, it's just petty stuff. But mm-hmm. And is, is that a common thing? Oh, very, very common. Extremely common. And at Christmas time, sadly, they love being in. It's cold outside so they've got heat they've got a roof over their head and they get a Christmas dinner so yeah um, all the time I'll often say to somebody oh let's call him Jimmy Jimmy what are you doing back in 
you know, what's happened this time? We see every prisoner within the first 72 hours of them being brought back into prison. So if you if it's your first time or your hundredth time, we see you again. Right. And um, just because that hundredth time could be a could make a difference actually. Well, that hundredth time could be the time that they're saying enough is enough. I'm needing help now, and I want that help. Um, so Sandy, the, so yeah, so, no, Sandy, just thinking about what you've heard, um, Jill talk about with your experience. I know you're also very much involved in your in the Church of Scotland. You've got huge experience of what's happening in the Church of Scotland. Well, how do you think? How do you think then we can help? Jill and her work and her ministry in the Church of Scotland. Well, where do you think we need to be? Do you think there's connections that we can be helping one another with and to make? I, I, I would I'd love to be um you know in a, in a congregation that is that is able to offer that kind of support. The the congregation that you know where my wife and I are members, there is there is a one person there who has spent time in the in the custodial system. Um, he was baptised as an adult, um, you know, not that long ago. Um, he still has his struggles. He still has his struggles. But, you know, he's just one of these guys, and you see him on a Sunday, and I love seeing him there, you know, and, and you know, he's, he's, he's part of us. And, um, and that, that's that, really what you're saying. That, you know, if if church if, if if church fellowships, if congregations are not there to you know for the vulnerable, for those in need, then why what are they doing? Um that that may be prisoners, that may be asylum seekers, uh, it, it may be it may be people who are just struggling in general, as many people are nowadays. It may be that that mum whose kids are driving their, you know, uh-huh. round the wall. But Surely, if if we're not there to support the vulnerable, what are we doing? Do you think, Jill, then, we need to, thinking about this, just taking this a bit further, in the Church of Scotland, when we're training ministers and training leaders and elders, do you think, it seems to me as though this is an area we really need to become more expert in, and, and more expert in creating um, places of welcome for those who are vulnerable? Yes. And I think we're doing it. I mean, there must be congregations that are very good at doing this. There are, but there's a lot of fear as well. Even within the good congregations, there's a lot of fear. Um, because my home congregation, well, where my, my mother-in-law and my mum go, um, Fullerton and Irvine, there's, they, they're great. But I, knew, I do also know that, that my mother-in-law, for example, there is a wee bit of a fear. There is some of the older generation are a wee bit concerned about some of the people that are coming in um but the fear if, if the maybe if the leadership you know just assures all the time and continues to assure and as long as I loved what you said Sandy um that you know you, you know the the guy that comes to your church who still gets struggles but he it's great to see him that's all they need to to feel welcome yeah. um that yeah, it's great to see him, not to be judged, even if he has disappeared perhaps for a few months, um, yes, because yes. he's been back inside. But to see him again and to assure him, a, a bit like him coming to us again and again, you know, that hundredth time might be enough's enough. It's the same coming out. 
when he comes out for that last time, hopefully it is the last time. And maybe just to know that he's got a church there that will support him, that will value him, that will see a change in him, that will help him change. Um, it's, it's as I said before, it's worth its weight in gold. It's what people need. They need to be um, acknowledged and supported and valued. Albert, can I just yeah. buy here? Sorry, my, my, no, carry on. What what Jill has been saying it reminds me of of what something that Padre Gotum and Glenn Jordan wrote about in their book, uh, Borders and Belonging, uh, and it's 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 a exploration of the book of Ruth, and of course Ruth was an outside uh, you know Ruth was an outsider. Uh-huh. Ruth was from a community, a people that were forbidden. To have anything to do with the Israelites shouldn't have had anything to do with them. That was forbidden. But it was Ruth, through her devotion and integrity, that broke that stereotype. And when we meet people who break that stereotype and can tell a new story and then become part of our story, that that I think is is the kingdom. That's the kingdom happening in front of us. Absolutely. And so what you're talking, what we're now talking about is the church needs, there is no other organisation, I think, in the world quite like the church in that the opportunities that we have, here we are talking online about, I'm talking to a prison chaplain, I'm talking to you, Sandy, who's involved with World Church, and yet you're a member of the Church of Scotland, both of you are members of the Church of Scotland, and this whole this whole project that I'm part of is all part of the Church of Scotland too, ministry, reaching out because there is something wonderful about the gospel that can change lives. You know, if it wasn't the gospel, the story of Jesus, this whole story you're talking about, it's in this opened up in scripture. If that wasn't there, if we can't have new beginnings and you start all over again, you know, well, I'm, I'm guessing it changed all of our lives. Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was, um, do, I'm on a course on healing, healing the wounds of trauma at the moment. And um, today we were reminded of the woman that was bleeding for 12 years who went mm-hmm. to Jesus just to touch. She, a bit like Ruth, you know, she broke down barriers because she was not supposed to be outside for a start she was she was unclean she shouldn't have been near men she shouldn't have been near anybody she was in such the mm. lowest of lowest places so broken she had nothing else and she she I, I bet you she never even thought at the time I'll go and touch his cloak she just thought it could be my last chance oh. and she touched his cloak hadn't Vulnerable though, but yeah, she had nothing to lose. Nothing to lose, and she was, you know. And then he, he, he wanted to face her and to assure her, to say, "Your faith has made you well." It's like daughter and daughter, so belonging. You know that. That's people. I work with people as you have worked with and spoken so powerfully already, Sandy. People who are going through trauma right now in their lives, in their countries. And we have a, a God who's saying, daughter, son, come, come on, I'm here. Mm-hmm. 
and, and change his lives. Jim, Jim Steele, who's one of our singer-songwriters on Sanctuary First, has a brilliant song he's written. written it's called The God of, Se God of Second Chances, you know, mm. and just talking about how the second chance, God is, and, but it's not just second chances, it's, it's 70 times seven chances. Yeah. You know? and, and that is just such an important thing when we're talking like this tonight, for a prison chaplain to be able to say, that's the God that I, if it wasn't that kind of God, I couldn't do my job, you know. I, and then we're also talking to you, Sandy, just thinking, if I can go back now to a bit about your work and what you're doing, um, you know, the work that you do in your partnerships with people. How significant are these churches, the, the, the churches got in partnerships to the people that you're working with? How, how, how do they value them? There's a variety of a variety of um, answers you can give there. You you can talk to people in churches in in Zambia or in India, and they will talk about missionaries, maybe that were even there before they were born, but who who are memorialised, who are respected and revered. And who nobody knows about today, or very few people know about today in Scotland. You know, we we have we've forgotten about them, but the difference that they made to the lives of communities and in the building up of churches across the world um, is is still still revered. Um, a couple of weeks ago, week week past on Sunday, at Mayfield Salisbury Church, I was invited along to a service. Uh, that Sandy Forsyth was, was leading there to commemorate and celebrate the life and ministry of John Ross. Mm -hmm. John Ross was uh, famous, he, he was a, a, a remarkable linguist and he went from the Scottish Islands from Ballantore and went uh, to China as a missionary in what was then Manchuria in a city then known as Mukden, now known as Shenyang. He planted a church he founded a Bible school. The church was burnt down in the Boxer Rebellion. It was rebuilt. The Bible school is still there, but it's been succeeded by the largest theological seminary in Northeast China. John Ross is revered in Northeast China as someone who brought the gospel there. There's not many people in Scotland actually know about it. His, his near namesake, a retired free church minister called John Stuart Ross, has just published a biography called The Power and the Glory. And hopefully that will, will raise his profile a bit. Because not only is John Ross revered in Northeast China, but he's revered in Korea. Oh. Because when he was there, if you, if you think of the map of Asia, the Korean peninsula kind of hangs off Northeast China. But when John Ross was there from 1872 to 1910, Korea was known as the Hermit Kingdom. It was it was effectively closed to foreigners and certainly closed to Christian missionaries. There were a couple of Americans getting, but it was effectively closed. And you think this was the kind of, you know, the high watermark of the, the great sort of 19th century missionary movement, but, but Korea was one of those places that, that resisted. And John Ross was seeing 
Korean traders coming across the border. They could come backwards and forwards. And there were Korean people living in the hills down near the border. And he wanted them to hear the gospel. So in his spare time from planting and running a church and founding a, a Bible college, wow. and um, he was one, one of the early proponents of the thing that it's not missionaries that will build the church. It has to be local people. So he trained local people to be catechists and deacons and evangelists and ministers. So in his spare time, he learned Korean from these traders at a high enough standard to be able to produce the first translation of the New Testament. Wow. And, you know, how many people in Scotland know that? How many people in the Church of Scotland know that story? Scandalously few. But it was lovely to be part of that service. Um, say a week past on Sunday there in Mayfield, Salisbury. And, and, and you know, maybe, maybe John Ross... Uh, maybe his his name and his legacy will will get a bit more profile uh, because I mean that's just a tiny wee snapshot I've given you and you're it's jaw droppingly amazing yeah. what this guy did amazing isn't it I mean the thing yeah. is is Sandy I feel privileged because I, we spent some time together in Korea so ten years ago yeah. now mm. and being in Korea I remember speaking to someone who told me that story and I was absolutely amazed but then they went on to explain to me that when the American missionaries went to Korea, they discovered that there were Christians there already. And they wondered where they got them, where yeah. they got the message from. And it was Koreans who had brought the gospel to their own people. It wasn't outsiders. So yeah. the Koreans were evangelized by their own. Yeah. And this is the John Ross philosophy. You know, I, and that, that's relevant for the church. One of the things I was going to ask you about, I'm, I'm starting to get, get excited about this, but that's one of the things that the Church of Scotland and the Christian church today needs to understand, that it's local people that touches local people that tells local people about Jesus. But what, what we was doing for yeah, years... What, what, was, what was Jill saying about what she needs? Yeah, exactly. Local people. And, and yet... For years in the Church of Scotland, if you were called to ministry in your own congregation, they took you out of your congregation and they sent you somewhere else. You know, and maybe there's something about people keeping in a community where they can make a difference where they're known and where they've got all the connections. I've always also been been wondered where has the, the, the thing came that my faith is private? I mean, where did that come from? Come from. That nobody yeah. shared their faith. And that's fair. I mean, I used to hear that as you know, I was younger in the Church of Scotland. Where, why? Say that. Where, where did it come from? Exactly. You know, where, where, is it private? Because sometimes it's private because people are so, they're not, sh they're not sure what they believe. No. Or maybe they've not, they've not had a chance to, to talk about what, because they've been taught to for too long, instead of letting them a chance to talk about, is this what this means? Yeah, yeah. In, in Kilmarnock Prison, I'm not there now, but I was part-time there when I was a parish minister in Anne Bankington Bolton. And we used to have sometimes chat cafes. And that, to me, was much more powerful 
than taking the service and, and, you know, well, it wasn't a Sunday, but taking a service. Because when we had the chat cafes and they're round a table and there's, you know, maybe five boys round each table and then just getting their feedback. Oh, it's wonderful. The nuggets that you heard, the, the, the theology that came. Oh, it was just powerful stuff. And it was much better than me standing up preaching at them. That's what we need more of as well. More of that. And we need to create, we need to create, we need to find ways to do all this and to break some of these old moles into something new and wonderful uh, that, that will make a difference in the world. Sandy, you're back from Korea recently. Mm. You're telling me how you were really... You were actually on fire in the church. Believe it or not, in the Church of Scotland offices, there's loads of people who get very enthusiastic about Jesus and, and about their faith. And it, and it's, it's really encouraging. But I was talking to Sandy, and he was just animated when he came back from Korea because he, he, he had had such a good time. Yes, yes. Um, it was last September, so uh, a few months ago now, and it was meant to be with the moderator, Ian Greenshields. Uh, yeah. he was, it was meant to be part of, of his uh, visit, but you'll remember in September, uh, Queen Elizabeth died, and so Ian wasn't able to travel because obviously had, he had responsibilities back here. Um, but it was agreed that, that I would go anyway, not to stand in for uh, the moderator, but to, there were other things going on and I, I could be part of, so it was, it was still worthwhile me, me going. And I was there for about 10 days. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky uh, because over the years I've been doing this kind of work, I've, I've met these amazing people and got to know them. Um, and they're, they're friends as well as, as colleagues. Um, and and it, it's great spending time with them. But um, if, if I sort of just narrow it all down to the two different church services that I went to. So the, the first one, um, it was at this uh, Han So Mang Church, Han So Man Presbyterian Church, uh, in in the city of of uh, Paju, which is very very close to the border with North Korea, uh, just at the thirty parallel, so north north of Seoul, an hour or so drive um, from the capital, and that was the church where the outgoing moderator of the Presbyterian Church of Korea was the minister. So that was the thing, you know, our moderator would come and it was a big set piece and um, Ian would preach and, and, and that would be fine. And that kind of, that was all that. But when I went there, um, I heard the amazing story of this and Suman Church. And it started, the, the outgoing moderator, uh, Reverend uh, Ru Young Mo, had started this church in his front room as a house group in 1991. And over the years, it had grown and grown. And in 2010, they built this, you know, state-of-the-art, custom-built, bespoke church building. Um, I think four or five stories high, it had an elevator, um, big auditorium church, all this, and now has 5,000 members. It's one of the biggest congregations in the PCK. And um, Reverend Rue is, you know, honoured by being the moderator. And he's, he'll be retiring in the next year or so. He's at, at the end of his, his ministry. 
Now, the thing about this city is it, only, it, it was only given city status in the late 90s as it started to grow. And because it was new, property and things are a bit cheaper there compared to Seoul, which is, you know, one of the most expensive cities in Asia to live in. So it attracted a lot of young people. A lot of young families were moving there. And businesses and industry was there, but you could still, you know, it was still commutable to Seoul, uh, but but cheaper to live there. So so this city um, was growing up, and this house church was growing, and we got to 5,000 members. And I was met there at the door by Daniel, who was, was one of the associate pastors here in Trajan, one of the associate pastors, and he toured me around the building. And there were nurseries and kindergarten rooms absolutely fitted out to the highest standard with all the all the gear and lovely colours and posters everywhere. Mm. The big auditorium church, three three main services on a Sunday, plus a youth service in the smaller chapel, uh, which was bigger than the church I go to here in Edinburgh. Um, and then it was the, I think maybe the 10 o'clock service, 10 or half past 10 service I was at. And we're getting all those stuff. And I just sort of said just to Daniel, I said, you're, you say you're one of the associate pastors. How many are? How many are? Over there? But he said about 30, 32 of us associate pastors. <clears throat> he was the pastor responsible for communication. So things on their web page, their social media, uh, writing letters to the press. That was his ministry. That was his ministry. And he was he was quite new in the team. The average age of the city and the average age of the church membership, 37. Mm. 37. <clears throat> Hence all this stuff for childcare, preschool and post all that stuff. So a really young community and doing all sorts of things there. So but by any metric, this has been a hugely successful church. Growing from a a house church in Reverend Rue's front room, their membership of 5,000. Although they said, like everywhere else, numbers are fluctuating since lockdown and the pandemic, people watching online. Although with their two big cameras on cranes, it was a bit fancier than what we were doing through my mobile phone and Facebook Live. Um, I mean, just absolutely astonishing um, church. Hugely successful by any measure and... I was I was welcomed and and it was it was great absolutely great. The following Sunday, things had changed. The moderator wasn't there. He was due to preach at the the new moderator of our other partner churches thing, but that that was going to involve several travel. So we just we just scrubbed that. And my colleague from the the National Council of Churches, Kim Min Ji, said, "Why don't you just come to the the church I go to?" Yeah, okay. I'll meet you at half past nine in the hotel lobby. Yep. And we went round. It's only about 10 minutes walk away. And there's a building that's it's just called the Korea Ecumenical Building, and it, it hosts the offices for any number of, of Christian and church organisations. And we went down into the basement. This was where the Seoul Diaspora Church met on a Sunday morning. They rented this basement room. And the Seoul Diaspora Church grew out of um, an idea that this minister, Reverend Jung Jin Woo, had had back in 2016. 
And he'd said to the presbytery, I want to plant a church. I just want to try something. Don't know what it's going to be. I want to try something new. And he got the go-ahead. He was a very respected minister. He'd been very involved in the human rights and the democracy struggle back in the 70s and 80s when Korea was still under military rule, brutal military rule at times. And Reverend Jong, he just had this in his heart to start something new. Very quickly, Filipino undocumented migrant workers congregated around him. And this grew and became the sole diaspora church. Maybe a membership of 40 or 50. They're not even formal members. And they call them, rather than call them illegal, as we are too prone to call people in this country, which is, mm -hmm. as we know, wrong in fact, call them undocumented. So the people who have come from the Philippines, they've left their families, and they come to work in Korea where they can earn more money and send it back to their families in the Philippines. And some of them are there for years, but they're very vulnerable. And just the previous week, some people had been deported back to the Philippines. Um, obviously, their employers know their status, so they can be easily exploited. Their landlords know their status. They can be easily exploited. But they have gathered together in this sole diaspora church. And the, the, there was, just, you know, that feeling, You just there's something a bit special here. Mm -hmm. the, the, but when people were coming, and I was there early, because my friend Minji, this wasn't just the church she went to, because she went straight to the keyboard. Turns out she's the musician and the associate pastor. She's a modest, modest person. But as people came in, they were sitting at the other side of the room from me and sitting around the wall. And it was only the last two or three people when they had no other option that I had to sit beside me. You know, um, They didn't know me. I'm a stranger. They're vulnerable. Friends of theirs have just been deported a few days ago. How should they trust me? And and I was fine with it, absolutely fine. Afterwards, we had a good laugh about it. We had a laugh. But it just showed how, even at church, how vulnerable they felt, how marginalised they felt. And so these, and with a lovely lunch afterwards, the, the, the one, the church, go to South Korea, go to church and have a church lunch in any church. And it's great. It really is. It's, it's, a, it's a huge part of, of church life there. Albert will remember mm -hmm. from his visit as moderator. Um, you know, in different groups will, will take their turns. And, and that table fellowship after worship, mm -hmm. I think, is so important uh, in building the, the, the bonds of fellowship. So the, these were the two different church experiences I had in this state-of-the-art, bespoke, huge church that's growing, that's got everything, that's got massive ministerial staff. It's probably got more staff than some presbyteries in Scotland, you know. Um, absolutely, and, and, and wonderful to a group of undocumented workers meeting in a basement. Um, you know, I mean, you can't get, you know, further apart. And in both places... You know, you, you could not but fail to feel the presence of God, to feel the spirit, to see the faith and the love that was that was there. So I got to do that as part of my job, you know. Yeah. And 
again, my debt to the, the people that arranged all that is to try and to try and tell that story. It's much harder now for me to tell the story. Um, so thanks to Albert for for um, giving me the chance here this evening. Um, but there we go. So that that's just one little glimpse from an amazing ten days I had in South Korea at the end I of last. Can I ask a wee question? Or do you, do they have meals after every service? It wasn't just because you were a visitor. Oh, no, do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, that's another it's, thing. And it's it's not a cup of tea and a biscuit. You're taught you to sit down, yeah. uh, you know, chopsticks, yeah, the works. When I, was down, in, when, I was in, meal. when I was in Turkey, um, after the service, you know, we, we invited, you know, the minister says we all go for lunch now and they invite you all for lunch. Again, what do we do? We might have a cup of tea and a biscuit. We might. Or we just go home. Where's the fellowship? And and I'm I'm not blaming a church for that. I'm just blaming us as a culture. That's what we've been used to doing. Um, and it was only through my mother. Well, she's now my mother-in-law. But that very first day I went to Fullerton Parish Church, the girl who took me's mum invited me back to her house for lunch. She said, and she. Her mum used to do it as well. So it wasn't a new thing. It was something she always did. Mm-hmm. And I was, okay, 10 years later, I became her daughter-in-law. But I didn't know then that that's mm-hmm. what that fellowship did. And that fellowship, her inviting me, also made me go back to church. That was the very first day. So yeah. it's a big thing. There was something else you were saying, Sandy, that I wanted to share here. Was um, You were saying about the age the, the age range yeah. about 37. In the Church of Scotland, we we want more men and we want younger people. I, in a Sunday, have sometimes a good day, 60 men, all yeah. men, and I would say an average age could be about 40. They, they range, obviously, from mm-hmm. 21 to probably in their 70s. But a good average is around the thirties, forties mark, and I've got them with me every every Sunday. Yeah. And um, you know, the gospel's getting shared. You know, um, to 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 men, to to people that we within the church are wanting to reach out to. Um, but what we can't do, sadly. As we don't within Berlin, that is have a cup of tea afterwards. Um, there's there's re- restrictions, and also when you were saying about the more vulnerable not sitting beside you, there's a section within our prisoners that are more vulnerable, and they're the largest group that come to church actually, but they are last in and first out because they are not allowed to mix with the other with the other prisoners. Um, so a lot of what you were saying was mm-hmm. resonating with me in that small yeah, section yeah. of um, my week, really, and that's worship time. But, wow, I love the fact that you go for, that they have a big meal, that just, that's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So much for us to learn from the church, the the world church. And so much for us to learn tonight. We've, 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 we've talked along... We've been chatting now for just the over 40 minutes and we've had some really good conversations here tonight. 
But I think what we've got to go away and, and, and listen to this podcast again, those listening to it, to say, where are the touching points in these two uh, expressions of church and life and where the, where the gospel has been made known to people? And what are the touching points? And, and somehow it's about, in some way, it's been open to the Holy Spirit to see that God works in very different places and sometimes from small groups of people can make a huge difference. And the John Ross story is an amazing story because it's the the Bible itself can speak to people. You know, and people can find faith just with the Bible speaking. We didn't we don't need some of us doing all the preaching. Uh, oh no, absolutely. Definitely. I'm, I'm not a minister, I'm I better not say anything. <laughs> but I agree, you know, it's sometimes by conversations I have after they've read parts of the Bible, they then come to the chaplain and ask questions and, and say, God's speaking to me about that. And oh, the amount of times I have been overwhelmed. And recently there was one gentleman in segregation. No prison really wanted him. He was the worst of the worst. He's been in, in jail since he was 11. He's now in his 30s. He prayed. He said... I said, do you want me to say we pray? He said, would you mind, Jill, if I prayed? I was, I was overwhelmed. I was yeah. actually in tears. It was so beautiful. And, oh, you know, that's, yeah, as you say, don't, you don't need us sometimes. Mm. Just, yeah. And I, I think above it all tonight, we've been talking about the power of the gospel to change lives. And the thing that's changed people, we talk about career, but there's many other places that I wanted to talk to you about, Sandy, and I hope I can get you back on again, and also you, Jill, back on again, because I was hoping that you would spark off with the doc, mm -hmm. uh, because I think uh, you would have had a lot to say and a lot of uh, more interaction if uh, if Ian was here, because he had been he was medical uh, the medical officer down in the prison in Kilmarnock. And he's also, believe it or not, he's the GP in Irvine. So there's a connection there for you as well. But I thought that would be a really good connection. But hopefully, Ian, will get you back on again to do a further in-depth conversation on some of these topics. Because I think there's some areas that I would like to talk more with you about as well, Sandy. I'm interested in your advocacy work and the areas where there are Christians under persecution and you're talking about the blasphemy laws and the issues that are in, in, involved with all that. You've also been talking about refugees and people who are being trafficked, and you're aware of some of these issues as well. So I think there's a huge amount that that uh, you, we we I know our our listeners and people who listen to our podcast would be very interested to hear more from you. So the, the, this is the work of the what is still the Faith Impact Forum that will. Uh, obviously disappear in, in May uh, and will be rolled into the, to, to the new organisation. But, but this, this is the work of, this is, you know, part of what we do um, or what we try to do. Um, and, and I don't know how we'll be able to do it in the future with all the cuts in, in, in budgets and staffing that, that, that are ahead. But at the moment, that, that this is what we do. Well, it's, it's, it's fascinating work and it's very, very valuable work. But what we need to also is learn from it. 
and hear some of these stories of inspiration that come back to the church and we can start learning from the, the world church in some of our developments and how we grow church. We, we need to be learning from others who have been seeing the fruit of the Spirit working in their lives. What it is, what's at the heart of it all. And do you know, I'm, I've got a sneaky suspicion that prayer has something to do with it all. Huge amount. Yeah. And I think that's one of the areas that, that if I can throw Sanctuary First into all this, at our heart in Sanctuary First, when we started it, was that men and women might learn and come have an opportunity to read the Bible for themselves on the line and be able to pray and have prayers. So our focus is not about getting people into church, but about getting people to read the Bible and for people to pray. And and once we start doing that, who knows what will happen? The SPS motto is unlocking lives, unlocking potential, transforming lives. And it's a wonderful motto that we as chaplains can use because that's what Jesus does every day. Yeah. One of the things, one thing I would, when people ask me, what, what, do you what's different about the church in you know parts of Africa, parts of Asia? And I would have to say it's how natural prayer is. I think so often here, prayer is something that ministers do. Um, or so, it's something you prepare if you're on the rota at church. But if you go to many places um around the world, prayer is it's just natural. And you do you do it before you set off on a journey, whether you're driving or on the bus. Um, you you know you would never think of having a meal without saying grace. You you know you um, when your when your child gets good exam results, you, you, there's prayers of thanksgiving. It's it's just a natural expression of what people do. Well, and maybe if and Sandy. maybe if there's one thing we learn from the world church is that. Well, Sandy, you're walking right into next month's theme for us in Sanctuary First. Guess what it is? Living prayers. Yeah, and we're going to have 28 prayers about everyday life and about things in everyday life. And um, I might just invite you on, Sandy, <laughs> if you're around and if you're willing to maybe be part of one of those services, because we're going to have 28 prayers written. We even get a prayer for brushing your teeth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and it's picking up in all these things you say because that's what I learned in the early in 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 the church when I was visiting India, uh, and I understand why they pray before they go in the car in India. <laughs> <laughs> but but always you, you know the the person who was going with me would always pray, mm. you know because uh, and they would say you pray or they turn to someone else in the group and say you pray before we go off because we commend ourselves into God's hands. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. natural. That natural thing. We need to pray that that will become a natural thing for the, our lives together. Maybe yeah. I could pray for your work now when we're here. Yeah, be great. Father God, I ask that you would be with your servant, Jill. We thank you for the work that she does in Berlini Prison and for the many lives that she is able to connect with. But we pray that you would give her the keys of the kingdom to unlock doors for men to come and women to come into faith in Christ and to find a new beginning and to find 
a new start. And Father, we thank you for the work that Sandy Sneddon does, for his faithfulness in seeking to reach out and bring the good news of the world church into the life and witness of the Church of Scotland. We pray that you would continue to bless him and strengthen him in all that he seeks to do. For we pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. We've had a great time. Huge thank you to, to Jill Clancy and to Sandy Sneddon who have been with us and have shared in our conversation tonight. And I hope that you'll join us again next month when we will have another discussion on what it means to live the Christian life in our everyday in an everyday way. So until then, God bless.